Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? I'm amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's M Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got Kid Presentable here. Ooh, hey guys. Got Lavender Gooms here. Good Monday evening, guys. Mike, pigeonholing us to the people who only listen to us immediately after. Just saying, Mike, most people listen to us Tuesday morning. You know, when I say good uh, good morning, because I'm assuming people are listening on a Tuesday, you guys give me shit. When I say the actual time of day it is while we're recording, you give me shit. I can't win. You Mike's learned. just saying good evening to us. This is a private conversation. No, Someone's see, listening to this. This is just four guys having a conversation. Mike's just saying get off my nuts is what he's saying. Um, and finally, the return of the best fight analyst in the game, DJ Mark. Howdy. Back from assignment from his couch. Mm, and what an assignment. <laughs> just glued up there and just watched it all. Right on, as you guys, as we promised last week, as Stefan promised, Mark will be here to give you updates on a video game press conference that happened one week ago. So if you didn't like to go to Kotaku or uh, IGN or, start naming gaming websites, boys. The uh, internet? The internet, oh Reddit. Destructoid, <laughs> Reddit. GameStop, GameSpot. Yeah, GameSpot's still a thing, good to know. Um yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about E3, because uh, fuck knows there's a lot going on in MMA this week. Um, there is a UFC card this weekend, I think. Um, Correct. Yes, it is headlined. That would be, yes. It is headlined by Donald Cowboy Cerrone, which honestly automatically makes it worth viewing that fight, given the nature of it, the way the man fights. Taking on Leon Edwards in a fight where we will discuss in our preview whether or not Donald Cerrone knows who Leon Edwards is. I know I don't. There we go. We're off. We're we're off to a hot start. Um, we made a comment last week about the MMA hour. How if there's no MMA hour, people don't know what to talk about in MMA because it provides four days of news. Mike, was there an MMA hour this week? There was not. That's right. There's no MMA news this week, folks. Um, we got. Uh, yeah, honestly, nothing fucking happened. I don't even know if, like, did Bellator have a show? Did anybody even pay? I saw, I saw Michael Chandler tweet that he has all the records for Bellator. Like, well, a little Bellator news: they signed a six foot eight heavyweight to a multi fight deal earlier today. All right, tall guy signs with Bellator. We don't, we don't know who, but somebody got signed. We don't got a name for you, but somebody was picked up by Bellator. Um, well, fa- we do have a name. It's just, does it really matter? He might be good. Well, what's his name? Steven Mari. He is not related to the Mari twins. Who are Tia the Mari twins? Oh, there we go. Tia and Tamara. Okay, I gotcha. Um, my favorite Bellator-related thing was that Dylan Danis says, I said, uh, took a picture of himself and then said, I own Bellator. And then Ally Quinta's real estate Twitter account said, you don't even own a home. And that, for me, was wonderful. That made me very happy. It warmed my heart. Um, 
good sales pitch. That's just uh, raging Al real estate trying to. Yeah, that, that was what I was most disappointed with. Like he did the good dig and then didn't promote himself. Like you're a real estate agent. You set up a real estate joke. Now give him your number to have him call you. Um, some Ally Quinta news. Um, a couple things I want to talk about this man because I've really come to appreciate Ally Quinta. What he stands for. He himself, a little abrasive. Um, I probably wouldn't want to hang out with him. But he is, um, to quote Luke Thomas, probably the most uh, woke MMA fighter. And by woke, I mean to what the fuck's going on in the game itself. Um, he was talking about this uh, early weight cutting thing, which Dana White has said that everybody wants to get rid of. But it appears nobody wants to get rid of it at all. Like, not one person, except maybe like Yoel Romero or Khabib, which people who don't pass weight cuts, Batman don't make weight. And Ally Quinta is... Uh, He's just laying it out there, man. Dana's out of line, and this is the last straw. I've never seen anyone like he's never. They've never seen anyone like me. I will do everything in my power to make sure this is done the right way. We are weighing in in the morning. Now, I don't think that's gonna work, but I appreciate Al's efforts here. And it sounds like, and it, it looks like Al's gonna be taking on um, Justin Gaethje, which sounds like so much fun. To be honest, Marcus. I mean, Justin Gaethje versus anybody, really. But uh, Al will. Al will fucking throw leather too, so that just sounds like it's a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he. I mean, he need. I don't think it's gonna be hard to find him a good uh, dance partner, uh, Justin Gaethje. But Al is, you know, just about as good as you can get in the range that Gaethje's kind of at now, having dropped a few fights. I mean, maybe even unfair to Al, to be honest. I mean, maybe Al deserves a more high-profile opponent because Bobby. I don't think he's lost. In like, a, well, Al, Al just lost to Al just lost to Khabib. Remember? Oh, oh, that's right. That's no, this is a fight. That's, a, that's a good matchup. Then they're both coming off. Loss. And there's I, a, I forgot about the Al Khabib fight. So it's that the makes end, more sense. It's the end of August. They're going to be main eventing a show in Lincoln, Nebraska. Which I want to say they've never been to Nebraska before. So it's going to be one of those crowds that's going to be pretty hot for the UFC in general. And they're going to get a... I mean, fuck, I'd go. I'd go to any... I'd go to a card headline by Justin Gaethje versus anybody. Just on principle, quite frankly. Um, and that's... It's 155. It's really hard to find a hard ma- a bad matchup in general, given the level of uh, depth in this uh, division. Um, a little bit of news that came out is that... Uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is going to lead a one-man crusade to get those uh, Jackson Winklejohn kicks to the knee banned from MMA uh, because he kind of tore his MCL uh, in that fight with um, Darren Till. And somewhere, Quentin Jackson is like, oh, yeah, you guys don't take it seriously when I complain about this shit. You know, six, six years later, tall white guy does, and people all of a sudden want to take him seriously. Mm. Well, How do you guys feel about that? I was uh, I was reading that story um, on the bloody elbow version of the post that where it was posted. Um, at the time, it had about 150 comments because bloody elbow it has one of the uh, more active comment sections. I'll say of most of these uh, MMA sites. I think that's one of the things it has going for it. I was very surprised at how many people agreed with Wonder Boy's sentiment. Um, I was I really expected a lot of people in the comments to be making fun of him, and no doubt there were people. There was a surprising number of people who said, yeah, they should be banned. You, you know, I think it's, I mean, I'm, I thought we put a feather in it with John Jones comment. Like, hey, you're trying to give me brain damage. Who cares if I jack up your knee? Like, yeah, Stefan, that's a good point. And also, I mean, I'm, I made a joke about Quentin Jackson complaining about this, but Quentin Jackson was the first one like to be like, what the fuck is this dude guy doing to my knee? And because it's Rampage Jackson. And I think some of this must be reputation with Wonderboy. 
where like is different than Rampage's reputation where Ram people are like, oh, Rampage, always with the excuses because Rampage will tell you he's got an excuse for every one of his goddamn losses. But yeah, I mean, I think, man, you can, I think you can do whatever the fuck you want in that regard. I look, you probably should stop him from kicking you then. I don't know. What do yeah, you think, Mike? That, 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 that was my sentiment, too, is that as someone who wants less rules, especially when it comes to the creativity and what you can do inside the octagon, I don't... I mean, I, I get, like, this is a technique that is, you know, a dangerous technique to your livelihood in, in, in an athletic competition, you know, if you hurt your knee like that. But this is also mixed martial arts. This is a martial arts technique I don't really like. I mean, they, they have banned certain techniques, and I've been for and against some of them. I'm a big proprietor of you know knees to the ground soccer kicks uh stomping even i think you know as long as the rules allow it and the fighters are aware of it and they can train for it i'm all for it and i don't this technique is like it's not flashy and it's not i mean those techniques i i want because they're exciting and flashy and the sidekick to the knee isn't very flashy or entertaining but it's a martial arts technique and this whole game is built around what works, what doesn't, and evolving combat sports. And that's what's been going on. And it's evolved, and there's a new technique that's extremely dangerous. And guess what? You're a fighter. You have to learn how to defend yourself against these things. And I don't really like the 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 stance of like, oh, man, this really hurt me. We shouldn't be able to do it anymore. What my take would be is I got to learn how to do sidekicks to the fucking knee because that shit's effective. It broke my shit up. I need to start utilizing that. So, I mean, that's my take. I want yeah. less... I, I, mean, I don't want to be the next thing's like, oh man, spinning head kicks can do a lot of damage. I don't want those things. I was like, no, that's a martial arts technique. This is martial arts. This is what it's about. Not not like because next thing you know, isn't it's the, the whole be, point of this shit is to incapacitate the other guy. Yeah, it, it's, I don't want this to revolve to patty cake. You know, where it's like, oh, you can't do this, that, and the other. I don't want American kickboxing rules where you can't kick to the leg. It has to be body up. Like, no, the, the, the whole point of Ultimate Fighting literally was, okay, maybe you don't gouge someone's eyes out maybe and maybe you don't put your fingers in their mouth and try to rip open their face i'm okay with that and the rest was supposed to be whatever happens happens and you know they, they, they've cleaned it up there's no headbutts i'm glad there's no well you know marcus there's strikes. a there was a dana white had a quote and i'm actually gonna give him credit here because they that someone uh, he was it was some interview where they said what do you think about bringing soccer kickbacks soccer kicks back and he said something that i kind of agreed with he says the rule set is kind of the rule set. Rule set is where it is, and it's at this point probably harder to get away with more in the society we have. Like going farther out is probably not going to happen. And I kind of agree with him at this point, given what it took for this sport to get this far. I want to get to Mike and Mike. I want to see what your thoughts are with this. Do you think? Do you think they should do anything about this kick, or you're like, man, whatever, learn to stop it? I don't think they should. Um... It's a technique like anything else. Um, if they want to regulate it out, sure. Um, I can understand the athletes having a problem with it. It reminds me a lot of um, in the NFL where people, at least before, maybe not so much anymore with the rule changes that have happened, but people before in the past, they were a lot more okay with you going for their head rather than going for their knees because in their eyes, well, if I get dinged up a little, uh, my body's still okay. I'll be able to get back out there you know, as soon as I can say the alphabet correctly. Whereas if you tear an ACL or if you get a really bad sprain, you're going to be out at least a year. And that's food off the table for their family and for themselves. So... Well, I empathize with the fighters. Um, 
and 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 I can see their their points um, with uh, the concern about these types of uh, of kicks. I mean, it's a technique like anything else. Um, you know, until it's illegal, there's not really much you can do about it. Learn how to check a leg kick. Also, like, I mean, we have a hard enough time get these to go with that, like the referee trying to like impose, you know, don't hit the back of the head. Like, oh, no, he didn't kick me in the knee. I didn't kick him in the knee. I kicked him right above the knee. You know what I mean? Like, how are you going to even fucking enforce this shit? Yeah. Uh, that all being said, if they did ban it, I wouldn't care that much. Like, I, I know I just gave an impassioned speech about like, oh, man, I want, you know, as many techniques as possible to be available. If it came out where it's like, yeah, a lot of guys are getting hurt and this is, you know, jeopardizing the sport or, you know, the livelihood of these uh, athletes' careers. And they're like, you can't do it anymore. I'm not going to cry over spilt milk like that. It's not something that like when someone does that te technique, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's what I came to see. Sidekicks to the knee. It's not a very, you know, like I said, it's not very entertaining technique you know it just, it's just it's extremely effective is ultimately what it is and i mean either way the cookie crumbles i'm it's just not something that is really going to i guess for me honestly i think I, i'm i'm i would be on i would be not angry but i'd be like what the f i i i'd be worried about what's next that'd be me i think i think for me if it became like in the next couple months multiple fights are ending with this technique Guys are getting seriously injured with these, uh, with knee. But I mean, so far it's like people get hit with it. It's not enough to stop you from the fight, even though it might seriously injure you. It's like I think for me, if it was ultimately like making the sport less fun because guys are taking these front kicks or these side kicks to the knees and it's seriously injuring them and they have to stop fights and multiple fights or stuff. And even then, I don't know because if that was the case, I'd be like, shit, this is kind well, of no, Marcus. I remember like I, I want to say this happened where after Anderson broke his leg. And then um, Tyron Spong broke his leg like three weeks later. <laughs> that somebody tried to make the argument about like we shouldn't have leg kicks. Okay. And I remember like everybody was just like, shut up, nerd. Like I think it was like I've, I've, either I invented this in my head and it's like a straw man thing. But I want to say I saw this somewhere. And I was I, like, I everybody wanna, was just like, shut up, man. I don't want to come up as like a sadistic kind of like violent. No, man, it's not that. It's like this is like, I mean, look, we're not going backwards. But back then, like when that stuff happened, like I didn't want to get banned because like that shit was violent and gnarly, and that was unexpected, and that was exciting, right? When when Anderson in it, when Anderson, Corey Hill, and Tyro sprung, when you throw a leg kick and you when you bring your leg back, it's just a flobbly mess. Like that's shocking. That I didn't expect that shit to happen, and it made it made those fights exciting. I feel bad for those athletes. Obviously, like, that's a horrible injury, but they also recouped, right? I think all those fighters have come back. They recouped from that really bad break. Um, so I, I, I mean, banning leg leg kicks is just like really neuters the sport, and that's why I'm not so upset about if they if they do you know make this strike illegal. I think it's dumb if they did it. I don't but... think there's any chance. I, I think I, don't either, I, I think I, I think I think it's a Monday and Wonderboy was talking some shit and people are like, fuck it. Right. And here we are anyway. We're just yeah, talking I mean, some shit at anyway. At the end of the day, it's just like I don't think it's going if they did ban it, I don't think it's going to affect a lot of guys' game plans. And not a lot of fighters utilize that technique. So I don't think it would do that much. So it's kind of a moot point. Like you Bobby, I don't think it's gonna happen. I think it's for something to become illegal like that would just take a lot of, you know, a lot of government work, a lot of petitioning and I think for the fighters, there's more important things that they should be kind of striving for instead of banning this certain technique. But that's just my two cents. All right. Um, yeah, they're not doing that. Let's be honest. Wonder Boy's hurt all the time anyway. Uh, I honestly don't think anything else fucking happened. Um, let me look at this card that's happening, happening this weekend. Uh, Cowboy Cerrone, Leon Edwards, 
Um, I've mentioned it the past couple weeks how Leon Leon Edwards honestly deserved this, um, given the fact that he's run a five fight winning streak um, in a row in the UFC, and that loss before was to Kamaru Usman. Um, the guys he beat, honestly, not bad. Dominic Waters, uh, Albert Tumanov, Vicente Luque, Brian Barberina, and Peter Sabata. Um, granted, he's buried on prelims, and probably nobody knows who the hell he is. So you're wondering why is he main eventing? Well, there's like 45 fight cards. Um, last time Donald Cerrone fought a guy he didn't know who he was, who he doesn't, who he didn't know who the guy was, was uh, Darren Till, and he got his shit ruined in like I don't know three minutes. Stefan, does that sound about right? Um, what do you think? Like, do you think Donald Cerrone learned a little bit? <laughs> Did he learn anything, or was that just the way the tide was swinging? Anyways, Donald Cerrone I mean, got a lot of mileage on this guy. Like I said, you listed some names. I feel like I've definitely seen Leon Edwards fight because I remember I was pretty high on Tumanov. Um, he's come down a little bit, so I feel like I've seen his fights. Because when I was looking at the betting lines, uh, Leon Edwards is the minus two hundred favorite. He's it's not a it's not a coin toss. He's the clear favorite in this fight. So someone knows something about him. Man. Well, he I mean, you win a lot of fights in one seventy. I mean, I know that like his it's not necessarily killers, but that might be the best weight class that's not one fifty five. To be honest, in terms of depth, so all these guys can go to some degree. And Cerrone's coming off of he did he did bounce back and got a win over Yancy Medeiros and was a pretty you know, quite a banger for one round fight, to be honest. Um, but yeah, two, minus 200 for yeah. uh, Edwards. Pretty clear. Yeah. Plus 170 for Donald Cerrone. But like I said, this just, you know, it could be taking the guy uh, too, uh, too like lightheartedly. I remember I gave him crap because he showed up looking like a civil, a, a Southern general from the Civil War with his uh, gray coat and all that. Um, but like I said, Donald Cerrone, he's got a lot of fight mileage and he's, he's been an action fighter his whole life. So he's the type of guy that when it ends, you know, it's going to end ugly. It's going to end because he starts getting put away. He starts losing to guys you're not that familiar with. And that's just kind of going to be that's we've seen this tale so many times with Cerrone. I, I've written it off too soon in the past, but at the same time, he's not getting any younger. So. Um, I was surprised, but not surprised at this betting line at the same time. Yeah, this is uh, this card's paper. Where are they? Let's go with that question. Where does this fight They're happen? They're in Singapore. That's why. Okay. Um, Tyson Pedro and OSP should be pretty good. Uh, Tyson Pedro is not bad. He's still a young guy. He's 26 years old. He's 7-1. and one. And he does, he's finishing fights all the time. I mean, you run into Elar Latifi sometimes and the old sledgehammer gets you. But Tyson's still very young and it's 205. And quite frankly, he's young and he's a warm body and there's hope. Uh, OSP, I think we're kind of at the point with OSP where, Mike, we kind of know what OSP is, right? Like he might win or lose to literally anybody. Um, I don't yeah, know. I mean, like, I mean, like, I'm not sure this is worth like, much excitement besides we got a little bit of a prospect here, but it's something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing these two have in common is that they both uh, lost to the hammer, Latifi. And uh, OSP, you know, um, for some reason, I've, I always have it in his head anytime I see him fight. Um, oh, you know, this guy's going to, you know, he's a good prospect. Uh, he'll be good in a few years when he's, when he's ready and seasoned. And then every time I forget exactly how old he is, uh, he's Donald Cerrone's age. 
Uh, I always find that kind of incredible. So he also um, has way more fights than you think he was for somebody you're waiting to get seasoned. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you kind of know what you're gonna get with uh, with OSP at this point. Um, will he ever be champion? I mean, probably not. Um, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna go with no, definitively. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm comfortable saying 35 year old OSP will not be the light heavyweight champion of the UFC. Not in this promotion. <laughs> and you know, I, I'll I'll say Tyson Pedro's more than just a warm body, um, mainly because he's 26, and it's it's nice to see the the, the new young blood that's kind of coming up in 205 division. You know, Cormier is gonna be on his way out, and we never really know when the fuck John Jones is coming back and if he'll actually be able to about a week after Brock Lesnar shows up. That's my guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're not doing that fight at two Oh five. So Jones may very well be on his way up to, to, to heavyweight as well. So who knows? Maybe we're seeing the beginnings of a new contender at uh at two Oh five and Pedro. John Jones going to be the first guy to win the UFC light heavyweight title and the WWE universal championship. Going to win both those things. You're going to carry both belts around like a pro. Uh, Marcus, we got uh, Jessica Rose Clark, Jessica I. Yeah, that's happening. Um, yeah. at f- I mean, I mean it's, uh, Jessica I is always good for a fun scrap because she will she will throw some damn hands. And uh, we'll this, see what I mean. Go this ahead, fight's sorry. somewhat indicative, indicative of, of the main card, right? It's not a bad fight. It's It's just a middling fight. Like, these are two women that really aren't in title contention quite yet. I mean, Jessica Rose Clark has a little bit of a uh, streak going with her. I don't really remember how Jessica I is doing, because I know she had a rough patch there. I don't know if she's really been able to correct course. Uh, yeah, it looks like she just won her last fight. Coming off of four losses, though, um, and even then she had, you know, it was a little splattered before then. So, I mean, at a time, I think, at least for myself personally, I thought Jessica I had a Jessica I had a lot of potential. Um, and we haven't seen a ton of Rose Clark in the UFC, but she's she's racked up a couple wins here. So I think it'll be a good outing for both fighters to see if any of if either of them can really come out of this and start making claim to climbing the ladder, right? Because I think that's where they're both kind of at. They're on the low rungs of the f- women's flyweight division, and a win here. Well, I think, you know, if Rose Clarts beat Jessica I, that's a pretty big name on her, uh, you know, scalp list. And Jessica I just needs to kind of, she's kind of corrected ship. She lost four fights. She just won her last fight. Winning another one kind of gives you the impression that the rough patch is over. Maybe she's, you know, made some training adjustments or what have you, but she seems to be on track. So I think this is a this is a fight that both girls need to win. But it's not something that is really going to make waves either of, you know, stylistically how they're going to clash or in the rankings, have that kind of tension in the fight. But it should be a good scrap. And then, okay, this thing starts at 5 a.m. Pacific time, the main card. Which means when I wake up on, what day is the 23rd? Saturday? I mean, this is a Fight Pass card. Mike is just going to tell us about it. When he oh, it's on it. Fight Pass? All right, never mind. I thought it was on Fox Sports 1. Yeah, All right, this I'm is not a pure see. Fight Pass. Mike's going to have to share some passwords if any of us are to see this. Yeah, I was gonna have, say. I think I, haven't I given you guys the passwords already? I, I think know you Mark gave it, it. You gave it to Mark, and Mark couldn't get it to work. <laughs> That's true. It didn't work on my phone. Maybe online. But you got too many devices on it. I like we're just talking. Here we go. Um, it's just just planking our plans for watch this one fight. Um, it's worth mentioning that uh, Teruto Ishihara, where I want to say almost all the fun is gone at this point. Quite frankly, all the fun we I'm going to talk about with this guy is from a distance past. You know, the cookie party. And where are all of his bitches? And they told him he can't say bitches. I don't think he's won since they told him he can't say bitches. 
Um, uh, he, he he did. He actually he. I don't think it was his last fight, but in his last two, he beat uh, Ronaldo Die, who's also on the card. Oh Jesus! Okay, man. He lost when you lose to Artem. That's probably it, guys. Right? If you can't beat Artem, it was a prospect. We thought maybe he could be something, and that just turned out not to quite be the case. You know, maybe he's still young. You know, I mean, I I don't want to count count a young guy out. You know, he killed. He could still make some corrections and turn his career around, but. We saw him heading up, and it just the potential was there, but it just he couldn't. I, the, he, I think he's living the gimmick a bit too much. One of the problems was he joined Alpha Male, which in theory was like okay, he went to a better camp, but he does not fit their blueprint. You, you know, know what it is, I Stefan. I think he's at. I, I think I think he's at a Japan. I think he's at a Japanese like version of off Alpha Male. Actually, most of the time, I don't even think he's even here. I think he's just like. You know, like I they mean, have like I've ATT. I've seen him in footage. Him at Sacramento. I know, but I think that was like and stuff. fights ago. Like but a while I, I, th- ago. I think mainly what you're saying is like that's a wrestling gym, and I think at least for me, when he first went there, I was like, oh, okay, he's he wants to correct the wrestling game. Like he's going to get better at wrestling because he he has a lot of power standing. He's a pretty good stand up fighter. His holes is really you know just you know he's not a strong grappler. Um, he doesn't have the wrestling pedigree. So I thought, oh, you know, alpha male. If they teach him how to defend takedowns, at the very least, if not how to get takedowns of his own. It could really evolve his game, and we just didn't see those skills translate at all. He just he was still the same fighter that he was. Uh, his takedown defense didn't seem to get much better, and he was just getting dominated by guys that hopefully he should have been able to beat. So, Yeah, he needs a win. This would be a good time to win. Just this would be If you want to make some moves, now's the time. So yeah, this is happening. Um, I would say everyone card- on this card needs a win, Bobby, because they're on a fight pass card in Singapore. Everyone yeah. on this card needs a win. No so one's in, the, no one's in high standing in the company on this. So card. Do, we don't have anything after this until the tough finale card, which is uh, a bunch of random fights, but it's got Israel Adesanya versus Brad Tavares, um, which is kind of something's wrong with. Uh, yeah, Tavares has kind of got her a foot injury, and if Tavares can't go, it's going to be um, Tiago Santos versus Israel Adesanya. Either way, Israel Asanya is worth watching. So there's that. And Roxanne Modafferi is on that card too, facing Barb Honchak. So, but really, that's just the uh, that's the night before UFC 226, which is what this is all leading up to for me, guys. I mean, Stipe versus Cormier, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, Francis Ngannou versus Black Beast, Derek Lewis. I mean, come on now. I mean, Michael Chiesa versus Anthony Pettis. Worst case, Michael Chiesa chokes him out in two minutes. You know, Gokan Saki versus Khalil Roundtree Jr. Woo! That's the main card. Yancey Medeiros versus Mike Perry on the prelims. Uriah Hall versus some guy. Rafael Asuncao versus Rob Bond. There's some there's some stuff happening. That's all I'm saying. Lando Venata's on the card. We should probably just shut down this podcast until then, guys. Let's be honest. That's 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 where that's where this that's where we're at with UFC, guys. One big event every like two months. I mean, where I'm at, Bobby, is I hear you listing a lot of names, and I'm noticing a lot of time before any of them have to step into a cage. I've seen a man get surprised by someone saying hello to him outside of his peripheral vision and him turning around too suddenly and tearing his knee. I've seen some wonky things happen in MMA. I don't get excited about cards anymore. Should we just say Anthony Pettis is going to get hurt now, or do you think we should wait for it to actually happen? Oh, you gotta wait. You gotta, you gotta have hope. You gotta have hope that this card will survive. Yeah, that's a that's a card where we're gonna get into those picks, man. We're gonna pick at least you know six or seven the thing of these is, ones. Hope for the best. You just don't get shocked when you know what. Just <laughs> just give me give me Ortega and Holloway, man. 
Like, just please just give yeah, me that. That's I want all, that's Holloway. What, I mean, I want that fight. would be great if, if he gets hurt. It's as long as Holloway just gets Well, who's Holloway going to fight? Frankie? Actually, you know, he can fight Frankie. Yeah, Frankie, that's a good one. I will it's tell okay. you uh, an early line. Uh, Stipe is currently at minus 270 over uh, DC. That's a lot bigger than I thought it would be. I mean, you got probably the greatest heavyweight everywhere, ever at this point in terms of resume. It's going to be Stipe. Yeah. It's but then we got a guy who never lost at heavyweight. <laughs> Whenever you talk you about defend your belt twice, <laughs> two in a row. No one else will be able to do it, so you got to give him that credit. Exactly. Um, I think they're under. I think they're underestimating just how much Cormier is going to be able to eat for this fight. I, I mean, the Cormier hard. used to be heavyweight. Jesus, that's he harsh. Shit up. I mean, hey, hey, less of a diet. I mean, that's a good uh, that. A joke aside, that's not a bad point. I mean, DC does have to cut yeah. to 205, and he doesn't look – he does not look happy on that fucking scale. He looks fucking miserable. And for he's a guy – like, He's not going to be drained. I, I'm kidding about the you know the cookies and donuts, even though I'm pretty sure he's probably eating some that? of that. But hey, dude, he's eating his Popeyes. He's going to be the best DC you'll, you, you'll actually see. I mean, DC is coaching in Gilroy now, right? And it's summertime. we got that garlic festival coming up in Gilroy. Maybe plenty of delicious food that he's going to be able to uh, dip his hands into. Oh, he's going to have that stink breath. You know what I like also? Stefan doesn't know of my plan to convince him to go to the Alameda County Fair with me. So it's good that he's in favor of the Gilroy Garlic Festival for the bullshit I'm about to sling on him when this podcast is over. Um, yeah, okay. Let's just get into some shit, man. Um, get into this shit. We're like 40 minutes in. Um, the Memoirs of a Fight Fan. Stefan, you put it real. God, we've been really like negative, negative. with these. Yeah. <laughs> Really look, negative. <laughs> look, my my, uh, you know, you don't want to live too long, otherwise, you know, you see all your heroes die. And again, we knew what CM Punk was. This is a week late, but uh, by all accounts, you know, we laid to rest uh, CM Punk's MMA career, um, definitely his UFC career. So for memoirs this week, the idea that came to mind for me was who is our favorite? And I I mean this with quotation marks. I, if you if I could type this out, it would have big quotation marks. Who is your favorite? bad fighter um and when i say that i don't mean to say that like they're really terrible you mean unsuccessful unsuccessful and and there could be a lot of different things right i think some of the parameters you know some guys have just fought a million fights you got your travis fultons of the world who this man has like 50 losses just because he's fought a billion times you have the handful of fighters you know it used to the kind of the unspoken rule of the ufc was three fight losing streak in your cut but we've seen guys stick around for four, five, six fight losing streaks. You know, it took a long time for them to get out. And then you see fighters. It's not that they're bad per se, but maybe they just have a very exploitable weakness that we've seen play out time and time again, right? Uh, I refer to them as one tricks. And, you know, it's just the reality sometimes. Maybe all you are is you have a good, you know, right hook. Maybe you have a, a good takedown, but you can't do yeah. anything with it. You know, there's I'll, so many. I'll, that I, I'm setting up the introduction to this really far, but there's a lot of ways to define it. And hey, you know, this is this Mark always talks about. This is the pride spirit, right? It doesn't matter that they were bad. It doesn't matter that they have a lot of losses. We found a reason that I like them, anyways. I got one off the top of my head that I'm gonna have to say right now because I don't know. I can't really think of a second one at the moment, unless something strikes me. But I'm gonna go Cody McKenzie with his guillotine choke as his finishing move slash only offensive move um this is a man who showed up without fight shorts and then went to big five and got fight shorts and then wrote his area code on to fight shorts 
with like a marker. And then they said, and then he didn't cut the tag off because he thought he could return them maybe. I don't know. And then they said, you want to fight Chad Mendez in this weir? And he's like, yeah, okay. And then Chad Mendez hit him in the stomach so hard. Like I felt it at home. And yeah, before that, he choked a whole bunch of people out who should have known better. Like at least four guys. That that that's what I got. I got Cody McKenzie because you don't know he was like six foot tall. He had a beer belly. It was yeah, kind of fun. Looking... from Big Five that he didn't yeah. take a tag off of. Exactly. He was you know he's trying to you know going real you know skinny Roy Nelson really the everyman you know. Let's go with that. I said you know like twelve times right there. Um, Stefan, this is your idea. What do you got? Um, so I mean the way you guys give me a lot of credit for coming up with these memoirs and usually my process for figuring it out is I just think of a topic I want to talk about and then I kind of reverse engineer what the question is from that moment. Um, so as I look at his record, his record is really not that bad. So me calling him a bad fighter is really insulting to his legacy, but I did come up with this question based on the idea of wanting to talk about him. So I'll say it anyways. And that is unfortunately a fighter with a 25 and 10 record. I, again, I apologize for lumping him as a bad fighter, but he does stick out as the first one to be allowed a greater than three fight losing streak in the UFC. And that's Dan Hardy. Um, it's again, his, his record is a lot better than I thought. I didn't realize he had two wins on his way out over uh, Dwayne Bang Ludwig and Amir Sadala, another guy who that guy just one day never showed up again. Um, if anyone knows where Amir Sadala is nowadays, uh, feel free to tweet us. I'm a little curious. But you mean holla, holla at Sadala? That was, he, that was, he was my guy. He, he, he had one of my all time favorite tweets in like early days of Twitter. I believe it was something like, I hate it when girls leave their socks on in porn and that's the only thing they're wearing. And now you know that about me. And I was like, that's a genius thought. Look, Dude, he was, was, I, I was all about that guy, man. That was pretty clever on the internet back like in 20, like 2009 or whatever. But um, for me, it was Dan Hardy. And like, again, it, I'm kind of backtracking because I'm seeing his record's not that bad. But again, lose, getting to lose four in a row, that was a big deal at the time that he didn't get cut because he was so well-liked. And then when you think about his time in the UFC, it's like, why did we like him? We liked him because he gave a great effort while losing. You know, like his, you know, we've seen a lot of fighters like this now, but he was known because he fought GSP tough, even though it was total domination. He didn't quit. Like we loved him because he lost good. You know, and then he had the Carlos Condit fight where they both threw a hook at the same time, but Carlos's hook was better. He finally got a stand-up action fighter against Chris Lytle, and then he went for a desperation takedown, something you never thought Dan Hardy would do. So it was just like these, it was one of those things. He's that lovable loser. You really wanted to see him get one, but he just couldn't break through. But, you know, he was a fun fighter. He's a great person. He's a fantastic commentator. I love when um, the English uh, duo get to do, like, the European cards. I think they're a great duo. He's really knowledgeable. I love that he's found a future. But when I remember him as the UFC fighter, it was just all those losses and those kind of desperation attempts. Um, so, I mean, there's, again, there's much worse fighters I actually like, but Dan Hardy was kind of who I built this question around in my head. Mark. Oh, I mean, this one's tough. I have so, I mean, these are the type of fighters I like the, the most. The one that's in the Hall of Fame? Let's yeah, go with that. Say, like, I basically <laughs> snuck a few into the Hall of Fame here, too. Uh, Akira Soji, not known as a good fighter, but this is exactly the type of fighter he is. A guy that always went out there, 
and gave it his all and, you know, took matches that were just like, they were awe-inspiring to watch. Uh, Akira Soji is a very short, stocky man, and he fought uh, Semi-Shilt. Like, just look up Semi-Shilt and Akira Soji. It's a freak show fight. It's like this dude is three people taller than the other guy. It's this fat little guy. I mean, it, it, and he got he got destroyed, you know. And um, a lot of these fights where he was just outsized, he, he ultimately did lose. And he didn't have a great record, but he was just a guy. He was called Mr. Pride. He was in almost every Pride event. And he went out there, win, lose, or draw. The dude just went out there to fight. And that was really the kind of the whole motif around Pride and really the, the Japanese MMA scene. And then one of the things that, you know, kind of becoming a fan during that time watching those fights that's kind of what was ingrained to me as an mma fan is that win lose or draw i really just want you to go out there and give it your all and ultimately entertain me i'm here to be entertained and to see your skill set and to see you shine out there and to not hold back and that's what i liked about pride is that when these guys lost i think especially in the states and the sport mentality we have is that losses defy you and make you not good and that's not what it was about in uh, Pride. It was just about your performance defies you and showing heart and grit and determination and knowing when the card's stacked against you and the dude weighs 50 pounds more than you and you're like, no, nah, he can still kick me in the head. Fuck that. I don't want to change the rules because I'm a fucking warrior. I'm going to go out there and get this shit done. And that's what you know. I loved about Pride and I loved about the culture around it. And there's a lot of other guys like uh, Soji. Another one of my favorites is Matsui. Him and Sakuraba were kind of buds, and Sakuraba was obviously the one with the grappling talent, and Matsui could never really get the pieces together to get any kind of streak going. You know, his biggest win was was against Jose Pele, which was like one of my favorite fighters and a real legend of the sport back then. But it was really those kind of shocking wins that kind of like were like, oh man, I didn't really expect him to win that. Because most of the time, this dude's just getting pounded on. So um, and there's just a ton of guys in Pride. I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Alexander Atsu, Atsuka, not a big fan of his, but he was a guy that always went out there, you know, win, lose, or draw. He went out there to fight, and a lot of times they came up losses, you know. And I, I think you can look through pride and a lot of the Japanese fighters that they tried to make heroes, whether they were from pro wrestling or had an Olympic background. Some of them did, you know, do well, but a lot of them just kind of didn't really make it happen. But uh, ultimately, yeah, these are the type of fighters that I I enjoy the most, the journeymen of the sport, you know, the guys that go out there and maybe they don't have the best skill set, but they have a hard head, determination, guts, and work ethic. And sometimes that's, 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 that's usually enough for me to make a fan, you know, as long as you go out there and, and really give it your all and you don't leave anything, you know, there's no doubts that you tried your best, then I appreciate that. I appreciate you going out there and, and, and putting work in for me, even though you knew, you know, you, you didn't really have the goods to win there. So, yeah, th th those few guys come to mind. I couldn't think of a lot of UFC type guys um, that, you know, Steph said, like, there's been that was a real thing back in the day, like three losses. You are out and not so much anymore. You know, it, it's more about popularity and, you know, potentially turning yourself around. But, uh, yeah, there's a ton of great fighters that don't have winning records. Mark, one uh, for you that we all like. Uh sexy ama <laughs> i just failed upwards that's true UFC. that's true and that's the thing is I, I haven't looked at a lot of these guys records so it's kind of like you stuff i don't want to say like oh this is my favorite bad fighter and he's like yeah he won 70 percent of his fights but the ones i saw he lost so i mean that doesn't you know i guess it's just uh, specifically some guys had really bad ufc runs right they were yeah. really big fish outside Gomi. a lot of guys who like they like uh what's his name uh the guy who first fought brock's first ufc fight like he never won in the ufc in, in like four stints um who am I thinking was he, of? Wasn't he there? <laughs> oh no! It's, it, no, sorry. It, it's the one who who folded. Uh, he knocked out 
um, Kimbo the first time and folded that organization. That guy. Oh, Petrozelli. Oh. Petrozelli. He had like he's like zero and seven in like five attempts in the UFC or something. Like even though yeah, he wins a bunch right. of time. Bob Sapp. <laughs> I was gonna say Bob Sapp. Mike, I'm really hoping for an answer here that includes someone whose last name is five thousand. No, sadly, I am not gonna go with uh, Dada five thousand. Um, I mean, he only fought once, at least that I know of. Dude, I, you uh, didn't see him on Access TV. I saw that fight. <laughs> I know never watched any of his fights, but it's safe to say he was a bad fighter in all of them. <laughs> yes. Um, no, the uh, the guy I'm going with. Um, you look at his record; it was it was above 500 record. He was 18, 13, and one um, for his career, uh, and he actually had a lot of entertaining fights. Um, you knew you were in for a barn burner when you saw this guy fight, um, but that mainly means because he was a bit of an idiot when he was fighting, and. I think this guy was most famous for conceivably probably should have had an eight fight losing streak between the WEC and the UFC because he had a five fight losing streak to end his UFC career. He won a controversial split decision, lost the fight, and then the last fight he had in the second to last fight in the WEC, he also won a controversial split decision. Now, these two split decisions that he controversially won, the first in the WEC was uh, the Korean Zombie, and the other was Sanam Pham in the Ultimate what, Fighter 12 finale. Why are you hiding the ball so much on this one? It's very clear who you're talking about. <laughs> it is very clear. We are talking about Mr. Leonard Garcia. This man should have had an eight-fight losing streak. It was incredible. Uh, considering he's a man that fights for, um, or at least I don't know if he still does, but he fought at Greg Jackson's camp, a camp known for, you know, strategy and really smart fighters. This motherfucker, as soon as he got into the ring, all that shit went out the window. And he's also a man that got caught in a twister. Yeah, man, that looks like it hurt. People don't know what twister, people don't see that coming. There's no shame in that one. Just small things. Um, get to franchise that Chipotle he always dreamed of. Is he is thought, it Albuquerque Chipotle that he owns? I mean, there's one on every block in San Francisco. There's room for him to own one of them. Can you really franchise Chipotle? They're not all owned by the same guys. They're not. They actually have franchise opportunities. Did he? Do you think Leonard looked into that? I mean, hell if I know. It could <laughs> be like In and Out, man. There's no franchises. Bobby, you don't know that about me. I hate Chipotle. I hate Chipotle. It's a real strong stance to take about to, to, to take on you know fast casual Mexican food. You know so, why, Bob? Because I live in California. There is so much Mexican food everywhere that the fact you ever settle for Chipotle is a mistake. Oh, I'm just saying, so, hate is a very strong word. Does okay? that mean? Does that mean you hate um, Taco Bell as well? I don't eat it. Taco Bell is also not Mexican food. I also <laughs> agree with that sentiment. Taco Bell is its own thing. All right. It's called I'm stoned and I need food. It's that's the called, food category. I want packets of that sauce. That's that's it's, really uh chicken McNuggets like Taco Bell are just a uh medium for transporting sauce into your body. 
it's also Taco Bell is man. Nobody else has figured out how to make a chalupa yet, huh? All right, that that's what Taco Bell is. All right. It's also, the went... most quantity amount of food I can buy for the lowest amount of money. Oh, you got like four dollars went... at Taco Bell. You're rich. I went to a Taco Bell uh, last week. Oh, it was so good. I hadn't had it in like six, seven years at least. Ooh, that chalupa was amazing. I mean, where's our man Mark, who uh, has told me that it is his favorite fast food? How has he not gotten in on that Taco Bell hype? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I said it's my favorite fast food. I, you, I thought you liked Wendy's more. Or even I, like I, I, I think Bob might be closer because that was my first thought. I was like, I got Wendy's a little bit more. <laughs> I thought it was Wendy's. I mean, I, I'm just, I, I don't want to get in an argument here. I love Chipotle, I love Taco Bell, and I love the the greasy hole in the wall Mexican places. I think they could all coalesce together. You know, I mean, I like them all. I, you know, I go to Chipotle. I'll go to the the hole in the wall place. They're all great. They're a little different. You know, each one has a little different spice to it. But I like Chipotle. I think Chipotle if we're if, if we're just gonna like but, if we're just gonna co-sign on a restaurant now and just like we're just gonna shill for somebody. I like to shill for that place in San Ramon with the uh, Rancho, whatever it's fucking called, next to Nations. This is how you know, people, you're in the right Mexican restaurant. Do they have a big like bin of tortilla chips? With tongs for you to take them out. That's that's where he means you're in the right place. All right. I think I think you know when you're in a because you know those places. Everyone knows the place that you don't understand what the thing on the sign says. At least I don't because I don't speak Spanish at all. But you go in there and you know, like Bobby said, it's a small hole in the wall place. It looks like it's dirty, but it is good. It is good. I mean, do they got horchata? That's a good step in the right direction. Yeah. If you see some horchata, okay. okay. <laughs> if you do see a bunch of Hispanic men getting their lunch as they're working, you know, their, you know, tough labor jobs. You know, good eats are there because these guys, you know, they're not going to skimp on a, on a good solid meal. So, uh, yeah, I love those hole in the wall places and they're everywhere. Every town you go to, there's got to be at least one of those. And okay. And in, 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 in this state. Oh, that's true. <laughs> in, in this state and probably Mike's state. But even then, like Mike was in Syracuse with me. Mike knows there was no, there was no Mexican food in Syracuse. <laughs> People were so excited when we got a Chipotle in our 3L year. Dude, we were almost on the news. Remember that? The guy wanted to interview us for the news, and I'm like, dude, no. I can't be on the – this can't be how I get on the news. I'm excited for Chipotle. That's that's not well, why. Better than some other ways you get on the news, all right? I mean, if you're not getting interviewed for the news, you probably don't want to be on it. That's a good point. You did some bad shit, Bob, is what I'm getting. I mean, look, this is just veering totally off course. Remember when Clay Thompson was on the news – locally but it was not for basketball they were just asking him about like a well like a construction incident or something remember that shit like like san francisco resident clay thompson hey and he just chimed in when you're when you're just a person on the street everybody's a man on the street to get in exactly including if you happen to be a multi-million dollar basketball what was his answer i don't give a shit i own that building <laughs> clay had some real insightful thoughts man concerned about the community so, uh, cnn going to correspondent bj penn to report on the uh, that was still the best thing that ever happened stuff on i remember like you we were texting we don't even need to tell you who bj penn is or any context to who this character is he's just this guy in hawaii uh, i remember like you texted me and you were like are you watching i'm like oh yeah bj penn is on the news <laughs> makes no sense <laughs> um all right let's do stuff we like um mark i'm gonna i'm gonna fuck let's just get it let's just let's let let's let's pull the fucking 
Ripcord here on E3. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so last week was E3. Uh, that's the big video game conference that happens every year. Um, there, I mean, there's a couple different conferences um, throughout the year. There's one in Japan, the Tokyo Game Show, and there's also one, there's the Paris Games Week. Um, but E3's really been the biggest one for a long time. And basically, this is really where all the big publishers have press conferences and show basically the public, you know, what to expect in the next year and beyond. And we got press conferences from EA, Microsoft, Bethesda, Square, Ubisoft, Sony, and Nintendo. And um, for the most part, they all had good showings. Um, EA always comes in a little light, um, doesn't quite deliver as much, and they didn't uh, this year. I mean, Anthem is their big game coming in 2019. It looks really awesome. Basically, you're playing as an Iron Man-like person in, like, these armored suits, it's very much going for a Destiny vibe where it's uh, co-op, loot-based, um, and it looks really fun. What they showed looked really cool. Um, we also had Microsoft uh, was on Sunday morning, and I think the general consensus in you know kind of the gaming community is they probably had the best press conference of the show, which is something that they really need. Um, and what they did is something that Sony had done a couple of years ago and they kind of got away from. They, their whole press conference was just that, we're going to show you a shit ton of games. And they basically came out in front. It's like, we have 50 games we're going to show you. So many of them are exclusive. So many are going to come on our platform first. And here you go. And they showed a lot of games that people have been really interested in. And there wasn't a lot of information on. One of the big ones was Shadows Die Twice. This is a new game coming from uh, from Software, who has done the Dark Souls and Blood Bo Bloodborne games. Uh, they have a really rabid uh fan following and they showed their uh their new game shadows die twice i think it's called like sengeku or something like that shadows die twice um looks really cool it's a feudal japan kind of action rpg game uh they also were were able to premiere devil may cry 5 which looked really cool and they also at the end of their press conference showed a trailer for cyberpunk 2077 and this is the new game coming from uh cd project red and they're the developers that have been doing the Witcher games, and Witcher 3 came out a couple of years ago and really kind of put them on the map. And I think it was about five years ago at E3, they showed a trailer for Cyberpunk uh, 2077. And it's been that long since we've seen another trailer. Um, behind closed doors during E3, uh, they did show people a 45-50 minute demo. And again, the general consensus is Cyberpunk 2077 is kind of the game of the show for um, E3 2017. Uh, but they weren't the only ones that had good showings. Uh, Bethesda showed off Fallout 76 um, and some of the other DLC. I personally, I didn't think Bethesda had a super strong year. I think Fallout 76 is a really interesting new take on the Fallout franchise. It's going for more of a massive multiplayer kind of thing. But, um, you know, there's going to be some gives and takes with that. Uh, and we didn't get a ton, a ton of information on it. It is going to be multiplayer, but they did say that there's going to be a lot of quests and stuff like that that sometimes you don't get. I mean, the Fallout series is really built upon these really intricate quests that you get, whether it's the main quest line or the side quest, they tend to be a lot more in depth than you think. You think you're doing something fairly simple, like just killing a bunch of bugs, and they the quest system that they have usually tend to escalate and get more kind of deeper and be a little bit more impactful than you're kind of used to in RPGs. And you're not going to be able to have the VAT system. There's going to be a lot of give and takes with this game, but it still looks really interesting. It visually looks a lot better than Fallout 4 in my eyes. Um, but really the heavy hitters for me, Square Enix... Um, they have a lot of cool software that they're working on, and they just didn't show it this year. Um, they've been working on a Mar uh, an Avengers game for the last couple of years, and a lot of people were really excited to see and hear more about that. They didn't show that. 
everyone wants more information on Final Fantasy VII Remake. They didn't show that. I mean, ultimately what they showed is more Kingdom Hearts 3, which is a title that a lot of people are super excited about. King, the last Kingdom Hearts, official Kingdom Hearts game, Kingdom Hearts 2, was on PS2. So it's been a generation and then some since we've had an official entry into the series. Um, in between that time, they've had a shit ton of spinoffs. Just really insane shit, too. When you look at the when, game... Uh, that- when does this new one come out? Uh, that one's coming out in the uh, beginning of 2019. I think in February 2019, at the end of February. It was supposed to... Yeah, they... Yeah, the release date was originally 2018, and uh, you know, at least at the end of it, and a lot of people thought they would be able to hit that, and it was right before E3, and they basically said, like, we're going to need a little bit more time, a couple more months, Um, so they're targeting early 2019, which which sucks, you know, it it was really fun to think about, man, we're going to get fucking Red Dead, Spider-Man, and Kingdom Hearts 3 all in 2018, and that's got pushed back a little bit. And, and this happens a lot, maybe not even necessarily at E3, but when we get closer to a fault. Wait, wait, wait. Which only did all of them get pushed back, you're saying? Or sorry. No, no, I, no, no. no. Having just kidding. Spider-Man and Red Dead are still set to hit at this. Okay, point. good. Having Kingdom Hearts in that lineup would just made the year overall that much stronger. Um But uh yeah, so Square Enix, they I mean they showed off Dragon Quest, which looks great, but it was really Kingdom Hearts was really the the fan favorite thing that they showed off. Um and personally, even though I agree that I think Microsoft had the better p- press conference, I I don't think I'm a Sony fanboy. I just really like the shit they put out. You know, I don't think I I can still say when they have a shitty game like the Order 1886 was really bad. They, not all of their first party stuff really hits with me, but I'm more interested in the direction that a lot of their studios go in. And they had I think they had a really strong press conference in the actual deep dives they took in, which they took basically Four of their first party games, they took deep deep dives into them. And the first one was The Last of Us uh, Part 2, which they showed another trailer, but also gameplay footage. And that game looks phenomenal. I mean, if you've played The Last of Us, this is kind of more of the same. But what they showed in this trailer, um, especially in the gameplay aspect, was a lot more advanced technically um, than what we've seen earlier. And it just it visually looked great. And one of the and I, I guess, I, guess I, I should touch on some of the controversy that some people don't know that one of the characters in the first Last of Us game and the main character in Last of Us 2, um, Ellie, is a lesbian woman. Um, in the uh, in the main Last of Us, they didn't touch on that, but in the DLC, you got kind of more of her backstory, and you find out that she had a relationship with another um, young woman. And then in the beginning of this trailer, she's at kind of like a party. And there's this girl that is kind of dancing around. She's getting everyone's eyes. And then she kind of talks to Ellie and they kind of share a moment. And it's it's a really, I can't, I can't stress enough that the four games that uh, PlayStation really dived into, I really recommend checking out those trailers because they're, what Naughty Dog does on the cinematic level is really just above everyone else. And uh, the cinematic CG trailer that they showed before the gameplay um, just visually is stunning. They, they um, have interesting uh, per, uh, personal note to interject. I found out a uh, old dance friend of mine that I used to dance with years ago. She did motion capture for that sequence that they showed in the thing. She posted a bunch of photos with her and like ten other dancers where they were all wearing the little caps. Yeah, because it's like, barn party. Yeah, because they're in, and it was it was one of the the things that kind of deterred from Sony's press conference was they opened the show in this church. To like show the show, which is very weird because usually these are in big theaters, but they're in kind of like this very rural kind of church. And it was very weird when you're watching it. But then 
when they showed the first game, which was Last of Us 2, the main cutscene, the the party actually takes place in this church, and it looked exactly like so. They did that um, for that kind of aesthetic to kind of set the pace. Um, but ultimately, what happened after that? After they had this really great trailer and this gameplay footage, they had to take a like twenty minute intermission to move everyone into another theater, and that just really killed the pacing of their press conference. And I it ultimately hurt them a lot when it kind of came to people evaluating who had the best press conference because they did show a lot of good footage. Um, but having that break where they they talked to Sean Layden, who's like the president of Sony, for like ten minutes, and nothing was really revealed. It was just kind of saying like, oh. How do you let the you know how do you um, you know cultivate all these first parties make all these and it's just kind of like fluff. Um, but the other games they did show, we finally got to show uh, gameplay of Death Stranding. This is Haji, uh, Hito Kojima's next game. He's the mastermind behind the Metal Gear uh, franchise. And this is gonna be the first game he's done in multiple decades that isn't tied to Metal Gear. And we got some gameplay footage of it, and it really just seems like you're gonna be playing as a kind of futuristic delivery man is basically his the whole all the gameplay is he's carrying shit around um but there's lots of supernatural that, elements that sounds kind of weird it, it is very weird and uh kojima games are very weird but they're also fascinating right like there's a uniqueness to them that not a lot of other people in the medium are doing and i think having a game where you're basically you're playing as um you guys know who, who the actor is from uh the walking dead the guy that's uh crossbow guy Daryl is uh, Norman Reedus. Norman Reedus, yeah. So Norman Reedus is playing the main character, and his name's Porter, and he's a porter. Um, and he basically, but it was the trailer was really cool. We gotta finally see like what the game kind of looks like, what you're doing. But it looked, it was just a lot of him kind of walking around in these weird environments. Um, probably the game that I was most excited about, and I know Steph was really excited about it. And they finally sh- they showed some gameplay. It looks fucking fantastic. Is uh, Ghost of Toshima. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that 100%. Tsushima. Tsushima. Um, and I was kind of worried they did have a CG trailer back at PSX, and you didn't really get a good feel of what the gameplay was going to be like. And I was kind of worried that they might go have some like supernatural elements with this character that you're playing as, because he's, you know, they call him the ghost. And I didn't know if he would have like some special abilities. But really, in this trailer, this looks like a super grounded samurai action adventure game. And it just. It visually looks phenomenal. And then some of the gameplay that they showed, I loved the first time that he gets in a conflict with some of the enemy. And this is basically in Japan during the Mongol invasion. And this demo actually opens up. It says nine days um, after the invasion had started. So this guy's kind of gotten pushed back. Um, You know, the enemy lines is coming towards him or whatever. And basically the first time he has a, a battle, there's these three other kind of samurai dudes and they kind of have a, they have the classic samurai sh- like stare down where they're just staring at each other for a hot second. And as the guy rushes your main character, he does one, he unsheaths his sword in one quick motion. And like that, the guy's dead in one, in one hit. And that's one of the things that, one of the things I really want in samurai games or even Star Wars games is having a weapon like a samurai sword or a lightsaber like when you cut a fool, he should probably die. And then for the most part, he, he battles some other people. And maybe it would take three slices to kill someone. And I still think that is more in line with... Because a lot of times I feel like when you're playing with someone with that weapon, a katana or a lightsaber, they might as well be holding a bat because you're really just smashing this dude around. But having an actual blade that cuts through people um, is just really cool. And ultimately... We saw in that gameplay demo, he kills a couple enemies. He does a little stealth action where he kills some guys. And then he has kind of a more traditional one-on-one duel with a more main character. And that 
that last duel is set up in this beautiful landscape where you're you're fighting by this big red tree there's all these red leaves floating by as you're fighting and as you're kind of moving around the environment the leaves are kicking up it was just really beautiful and i think a lot of gamers have been clamoring for a game set in feudal japan i think a lot of people thought assassin's creed would hit that because they tend to go to different time uh times and different uh you know regions to do games i think a lot of people thought like well, assassin's creed ninjas would make a perfect fit and uh, a, n- a number of games have kind of been going in that feudal Japan direction, but uh, Ghost of Tsushima definitely is top of the list. And uh, lastly, uh, for, uh, for Sony, they showed off uh, Spider-Man, which is coming out in just a few months in September, which I'm really excited about. Um, but they kind of alluded to, they basically showed a mission where um, there's a breakout on the raft, and if you're kind of familiar with uh, the Marvel Universe or whatever, the raft is kind of a jail for all the supervillains. So you go in there, and some guys are breaking out, and as you kind of uh, get further along, you realize more and more of the villains getting out are part of the Sinister Six, which is kind of a very popular villain team-up like that often uh, clashes with Spider-Man. Um, you have like Rhino, Electro, I'm trying to remember some of the other guys on there too. Shocker. Uh, I was going to have the Shocker. Shocker wasn't part of the Sinister Six, at least in this part, but there yeah. is a mission. They like do Walter, show... Doc Ock, Scorpion. Yeah, oh yeah, it was Scorpion. Bam. Doc Ock is one of them, but you didn't see him here, so he might... There's The, the big reveal at the end is that there's a sixth member that comes, and Spider-Man just looks up at him and says, you. So we don't really know who that is. Uh, but yeah, it was just... And, I mean, Spider-Man... Jay just Jonah cool. Jameson. <laughs> could be oh you're firing me finally no but um and lastly i just want to touch on nintendo did have a press conference and N- nintendo's kind of in the same spot that it has been kind of for the last couple decades where they're killing it on first party stuff and they showed some really cool first party games mario party uh they finally revealed which i think a lot of people have been clamoring for and waiting for um, they also finally showed what the Switch uh, Fire Emblem is going to look like, and that looks really promising. And ultimately, their big reveal was their new Smash game, which is being called Smash Brothers Ultimate. And the big hook there is that um, it's going to have all of the characters that have ever been in Smash, which I think is really cool because one of the things I was worried about when they uh, talked about a new Smash game was that if this wasn't just going to be a port of the Wii U version, um, some of the characters on that version would probably be lost because a lot of the third-party guest characters don't come back in uh, the next games. Like in the Wii version, they had Snake. Solid Snake has never been back for another um, Smash Brothers game. And the big thing here is that they're all in there. And 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 Snake was kind of the big reveal as they as they were revealing all the characters that were in the game. And they had the number that when they showed up on, they started showing some of the characters from the Wii U port. I mean, Ryu was the first one. I was like, oh, shit, it has Ryu. Fuck yeah. And then Cloud was the other huge one that was like, I really want to play as Cloud. And they had him in there too. But when they shot, when they went to Snake and they showed that he was there, they basically said on the screen, they kind of broke the thing. It's like, everyone is here. And then they kept just showing like all the characters that you love are in this one, which is really cool. And that's kind of what I want. Um, they did reveal that um, Ridley, who is kind of one of the um, enemies in uh, the Metroid series and has been a fan favorite that people wanted to join Smash, is joining it as well. And they said that there's going to be a couple new um, additions, but not a lot. But the main focus on this game is kind of making the ultimate version of Smash and getting all those characters together. So um, I still hope there's a couple new characters, but having Snake and Cloud and uh, Ryu, those are the guys that I really wanted to be in this version. So I'm super glad that they're in there. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean that was kind of E3 in a nutshell. I got, I got, I got a Nintendo thing. Yeah. What's um, that? so I think I've had this conversation with you before, almost certainly. Um, Nintendo, do you not feel they are riding on nostalgia quite a damn bit? Like, I. Uh, like, look, like, yeah. like, like a game will come out like Watch Dogs, for example. I know I'm talking about a game that's like six years old, but like, that's just something new. It's not related to fucking anything, and like that's a huge hit for like Sony or whoever, whatever system. Right, no, Sony and you're, you're, Microsoft. Nintendo. It seems like, well, how can we get Mario? People to talk about Mario some fucking more. Yeah, no, no, Bob. I mean, you're totally right. First party Nintendo does not create a lot of new IPs, and they've done a little better on the Switch. There's been a couple new ones. I mean, for Wii U, Splatoon was one of their new IPs that really kind of took off. And early in the Switch, they had a game called Arms, which was kind of a one-on-one boxing game. They do put out new IPs every now and then, but for the most part, kind of like Arms, they don't always tend to catch fire. But when they fucking put Mario in a game, or Star Fox, Metroid, Smash, Mario Kart, Mario Party, Mario Sports games, which I want to mention Mario uh, Tennis aces which is the, the new uh switch version is coming out i mean to Friday. be clear i'm buying mario tennis the minute it becomes and available. that's the thing we I'm all do guy. right like all these mario games sell really really well and it's not i don't think it's nostalgia i think definitely plays into it for some of it but it's also those games just tend to be a lot better and that's not to say that all every game that has mario in it is a good game because there's been a lot especially last gen wii u um the tennis game on the wii u was not very good um but yeah, it, it, they do lie on their laurels a little bit too much. You know, I wish they would try to have more new IPs in different genres. And they, and they do every now and then. It's just they don't catch on. There was Pikmin on GameCube, which was like their stab at strategy. Like I mentioned, they have Fire Emblem and they had Advance Wars. None of those are as iconic as the Mario games and some of their other franchises. So um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Bob. They totally rest on their laurels too much, but... It still sells, oh, and at least for although me, I will, still I will say, I will say, I am waiting for Fire Emblem like nobody's business. Yeah, I, you and Steph and a lot of people, and I know for and for me, this will be my jumping in point. I think for a good amount of people, for ever since the 3DS, because Fire Emblem was really a Japanese oriented strategy RPG for Nintendo, and a lot of those games did not come stateside, and the few that did didn't really you know make tidal waves over here here until saved the series what's that awakening saved the series and that was the 3ds one right and that's kind of where the series really got a foothold here in the west and i think one of the things that a lot of fans have been clamoring about probably like you mike is that like these games are really good on the 3ds but i want like a fully realized version on a console that can really pump out some polygons hold up hold to remember on the but the GameCube or the Wii? Shit, it's been a long. There was one on the GameCube. Time. There were two because there was um, uh, the Radiance and Radiant. I forget Dawn. what the first one was called. There we go. Those are the two. Those, those are the ones. Um, I, I don't. You like your internet them, is failing you. Okay, so I'll just say, Council Fire Emblems, good, and I'm and I'm out. Okay, we got I actually uh, emulated re- them recently, and I must say, oh, graphically they are rough. The uh, the 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 character models, like when they walk, they they don't swing their arms naturally while they walk. It is 
it is very dated in hindsight, but story-wise, all the, the the fire emblems that has always where they've really shined is in their story character developments because it's all about having relationships in that game and like you can you know you can pair off your characters with whoever you want so you can kind of venture down different avenues with all the characters um it's really it's 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 a, it's a game where boys got to play with dolls more or less because you kind of pair off and make kids with the characters in the game and everything so it, it's, it's there's kind of a hidden dating simulator in it but um Three Houses, I hope there's a better name than that. That's a little lame, if I'm being honest, but I'm really excited about that yeah. one. Yeah, but um, just really put a bow on it. Um, E3 this year was really good. You know, um, there have definitely been some stronger years. I I think 2015 will always be referred to as the E3 of Dreams, and that's where they revealed Last Guardian to finally come out. They revealed the Final Fantasy VII remake, and they re- revealed uh, that they're making Shenmue three. And that kind of set the bar really high. And the last couple of years after that, they haven't really been able to hit it out of the park like they did that one year. But these are still really strong showings. And I think ultimately, you know, the video game industry is in a really good place. And we weren't always so sure that it was going to be. There was definitely, you know, before PS4 and this current generation, a lot of people were saying that this one was going to be the last generation. That consoles aren't going to sell as good as they were um, because so many people have moved on to phones and people don't want to game at home as much. And that couldn't be farther from the truth, at least not yet. And I think a lot of it has to do with our generation. I mean, I grew up playing games on consoles and I don't really ever play games on my phone. I, I totally get the convenience of it. I get how people get addicted to those games and what makes them fun and engaging. And I don't discourage anyone who only plays phone games. I think if that's your jam, that's fucking awesome. There's a lot of good shit on mobile Um, But I still think that there are a lot of people out there in our age that are used to playing single player games and even multiplayer games, of course, um, at home on a big screen TV. And I'm glad that that hasn't changed yet. You know, I feel as our generation starts to wean out a little bit um, and the new generation comes in, that is all about playing on mobile, playing together, not so much interested in single player um, games that the industry might have to change just to keep up with the times, but I'm glad that it's still the way it is now, and we're still seeing all these incredible games that we are, like Cyberpunk and uh, Ghost, Spider-Man, Red Dead. There's so many good things, and even though the graphical leap for this generation hasn't been quite as significant that we've seen in past, like games still amaze me on how they look and how they play, how they feel, how they connect with me. How I, how I get emotionally invested in the stories. And um, for me, video games have always been the most interesting creative medium for me. I feel like it's the most open. And because we get to also engage with the stories, those stories can be even more impactful than we see in films and comics and TV. Um, I don't think the industry is quite there yet. We still need to make a lot of strides when it comes to storytelling, especially having a story coalesced around what you're actually doing in the game, especially when it comes to open world games and you have a lot of freedom and sometimes those narratives don't really match the actions that you're taking in the stories. I think eventually we will get there. I think they're taking a lot of positive steps in the right direction and just expanding what games can be for everybody. You know, whether it's narrative stories is the main focus or if it's gameplay and getting a high score, whether it's shooting your buddies in the head, um, you know, video games can be just about anything. And I think that's really amazing. So I'm glad that they have the conference to kind of show off um, how cool it is. Tied it up. E3 is gone. I want to mention one thing. There's a new season of Queer Eye. I love that show. I practically binged the whole second season. That's just 
good feeling TV right there. I feel good for the people on the show. It makes me feel good inside. I want to be a better person. That's just if you're feeling blue, watch some Queer Eye. That shit's good. Right on. Um, I'm going to talk because uh, Stefan mentioned it. I talk about wrestling on this show. I'm going to talk a little wrestling. Um, Miss Ronda Rousey had her first televised one-on-one matchup last night um, where she competed against uh, a large uh, performer, quite frankly, uh, Nia Jax, who I think she's like almost six foot tall, weighs about 270. So Ronda, um, Ronda did great, honestly. I was, she's not great on the mic, obviously, but for like, she is, for someone who's like two matches in, three matches in, she's performing on a completely different level. She is a natural for this, which I don't know why we're all surprised, quite frankly, at the athleticism part her succeeding at, but she sold, selling, by the way, is when you act like you were hurt, and she sold for the giant big bad guy fucking incredibly well. And then she, you know, I'm going to put this in 80s wrestling terms. She hulked up. And then Mark saw some of it. She was throwing this big girl around. She got on the top rope and hit a cross body. She, the crowd, um, is inc- she's incredibly over. Yeah. And that doesn't mean necessarily is a good guy. Just like the crowd is incredibly invested. Yeah, Bob, in I, I want to chime in because... Uh, you told me to it, Bobby told me today at work that like oh Ronda wrestled last night and it was really good and I to be honest I was very skeptical because I saw I saw the match she had at WrestleMania and to be honest it left a lot to be desired it looked like yeah she needs to learn they protected her quite a bit yeah and it's like it's like she has a long way to go before she's kind of ready to put on the matches that I think she's capable of and while we were getting set for the show I was like you know I want to see this match I want to see if I can find it so I actually started watching the match and what I was most impressed like there's a huge step from what she was doing in that first match to what she's doing here. And what I like the most is some of the technical moves that they kind of got themselves in. I liked at one point, Nia Jax kind of had her in a fireman's carry, which is basically you're carrying the person uh, on your shoulders and she was going to perform a big move. And then Rhonda gets her in a Kimura and she grapples her onto the ground to set up and to go into the arm bar. And that's a very, it was a very technical display of getting in the right position and then selling the moves and doing the rolls right. And there was another, I, I bought one of my favorite, um, a couple of big slams that Nia had. Um, one, there was a classic, uh, Ronda's going for the triangle and Nia picks oh, the power bomb and does the power bomb. That was She great. killed her with that power bomb. That, that, that was, was wonderful. That was a great power bomb. What I, what the one I really w- wanted to mention was when they're on the outside and it looks like Nia Jax is about to power bomb uh, Ronda on the outside. And then Ronda looks like she's about to do a Hurricanrana on her. But then she doesn't get it all the way, and she's kind of lying in this weird half power bomb, half Hurricane Rana. And then Nia Jax kind of slams her against the uh, the barrier. And I thought that was not only was it um, it was mostly a really creative move that for someone like Ronda who doesn't have a lot of experience, I didn't think they would try to do something that kind of off the wall and that kind of not traditional, you know. Um, and then I think some of the other things I haven't I haven't seen it to completion yet. I still need. I, after this podcast, I'm going to go finish it up. But I liked some of her punches to the body. I think she sold them better and Nia sold them really well. It made her feel like Ronda was strong. And I think the other thing that made this match really strong was the juxtaposition against you have the big, the big strong woman and you have kind of the technique-oriented woman and how those two styles kind of clash. It's a very 
it's kind of a matchup that we've tried and true throughout pro wrestling and uh, very kind of a generic kind of like the big man versus the small man kind of thing. But I think they pulled it off really well. And like Bob was alluding to that one kind of judo hip throw was really weird when she was setting it up and she kind of had the hips in the right position and the underhook, but then she was holding her wrist and I was like, what the fuck is this? And she was kind of lifting her up and the way she kind of turned Nia Jax in air was really impressive. And I was like, damn, like that's, I'm, I'm expecting hip tosses from Ronda and some judo throws, but that was like a very high level technique that she pulled off on Nia and to Nia's credit too. That's a tough for a big woman like that to be able to, spin correctly and to land safely without landing because when she was up there when she's about to turn i'm like oh shit this can go bad real quick well do, you know this thing i want to bring up because nia Jax gets a lot of grief because um she's green as grass and she's also hurt a bunch of people um in the ring which is pretty much the number one thing you can't do um you know she's also the rock's cousin so there's the whole thing about whether she deserves this and yada 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 she, um, and there were all these jokes before the match that, like, man, if Nia injures Ronda Rousey, there's no, it doesn't matter how much the Rock's your cousin, uh, you don't come back from that one, um, but she did, uh, she did great, man, and it was, they both put their working shoes on, because they, I, I mean, Nia has had a lot of bad matches, and this was not one of them, and they both did great, and the most, I've, um, uh, and, Mark, you mentioned the judo throw. What I've learned with Ronda, the UFC, and, and, and WWE is judo looks fucking awesome when you help the person throw you. Like, if you go with the motion, like, motherfuckers yeah, fly. I mean, judo like, is a really beautiful sport. I mean, I know, but if, you, but if you're just, if there's no resistance, well, woo, you go like, fly. You watch high level <laughs> judo, like, these dudes are not giving the other dude, they're not letting mm. them get their, uh, their body weight underneath them. So you get really. Not very fun-looking technique, like a leg trip or something is what you see at high-level judo because it's so tough. But when you look at like, the different judo throws that you can do, there's like hundreds of them. And some of them look flashy as fuck. And that one she pulled on Naya was really cool. And I just can't wait for that to open up even more. You know, as she gets even more comfortable, as the women that she's working with get more comfortable. I can see, you know, I'm thinking big pictures here. Big judo throws off the top rope and shit like that, catching people in midair and doing. Judo. There's a lot of things you could do. It could really turn yeah, out and well. You know, it was nice. Um, I'm not sure if you heard it. If you can watch it with the volume on, a, a good crowd is so important. Um, and it's like even with like a real MMA fight, if the crowd is empty and quiet, it takes away from it. Yeah, they had a hot crowd in Chicago, man. People were hyped. When Ronda started climbing the top ropes, all of a sudden people just stood up like, holy shit. She's going up top. Um, it was fucking great. It was, I was so impressed. And um, I don't want to talk about wrestling because, I mean, we could do that for an hour and that'd just be a different show. But uh, the night before NXT happened, and I swear I'm going to convince Mike to watch NXT once, uh, Johnny Gargano and uh, Tommaso Ciampa had a rematch, and it was, these dudes are on another level right now than everybody else. Um, in terms of storytelling, match quality, they tore the ring apart. They took, they tore the actual ring apart down to the fucking, you know, plywood. So it was such it was such a good show. And Velveteen Dream and Ricochet was everything I wanted to be in this life. I just sat there grinning like a jackass for half an hour while this happened in front of me. Um, and Marcus, you talk about E3. Worth mentioning, we had the New Day versus the Elite. 
battling in Street Fighter. I started <laughs> watching that video and I Dude, it's so long. It was really fun and I didn't get past New Day came out first. I didn't get past their promo. But uh my main takeaway is that like Xavier Woods looks he's been bulking up a little bit, huh? Like, oh, he well that's the thing, man. They called him a cruiserweight in the video game and now Woods is like, I gotta I gotta put on some masks. Jacked, but um the best line for me was when Kenny Omega said we're gonna send the New Day uh, oh no one of the young bucks said we're gonna send the New Day back to the WWE's mid card. That made me very. That made me laugh quite a bit. And then another one was when uh, they when New Day was trying to huddle to come up with an answer to something. Kenny Omega said, "Are you waiting for one of your writers to write your promo for you?" And then Woods didn't like that one. That was a good one. But yeah, I, I mean, I like fucking stuff on those. I'm just watching wrestling now. He made a good point. <laughs> what makes me happy, um, Mike? What do you got? Uh, for me this week. I started watching a show on the recommendation of our friend Sal's mother. Um, it's a show on Hulu called uh, The Hand- Handmaid's Tale. It uh, stars uh, Mad-, Mad Men. Is it Mad Men? Yeah. Mad Men's uh, Elizabeth Moss. Um, it's a show about a dystopian uh, future here in uh, America where. Uh, Fertility rates have gone into the shitter, and the few fr- women who can give birth, they're basically enslaved. Um, and uh, Elizabeth Wass is uh, one of these women. I've binge watched most of the first season at this point. I think I'm like on episode seven or eight. Uh, Elizabeth Moss won a is, what is it? A, what is it? Is it called an Emmy? Is that what it is? The TV ones. An Emmy? Yeah. yeah. Uh, she won an Emmy, I think, for lead months ago. And uh, Alexis Bledel from uh, Gilmore Girls fame, she uh, won an uh, Emmy, if I'm right, for uh, best uh, guest in a, in a series. Um, and I think it was pretty well deserved. I'm really enjoying the show. Really depressing, though, but still really good. Yeah, Mike, I want to ask you because – Obviously, you think it's good, right? And that's all I've heard about it. I can't get myself to watch it because it, the I think the concept is kind of interesting, but nothing about the show because it seems like it's high drama, right? Like there's not going to be a lot of like action scenes or comedy. No. It's just really going to be about the drama and those kind of shows. It's like I have a much harder time getting into. And it's like I I thought about watching it because I heard it's so good, and I'm sure that if I watched it, I would get like how do you sell me on it like why should i watch this show like i know it's dramatic and good but what makes it good and i mean do i connect with the characters i feel sympathy for or i mean what's the deal like i just i want to get sold people tell me it's good i don't know why it's good all right uh well the format of the show um it's it intercuts between the present how things are and back to uh, the past when the things were starting to go down because the infertility of, I guess, the world was something that had been going on for a while. So at least in the episodes I've seen, you see more of the transition where at first it was, you know, like people really didn't seem to give a shit. It was just the mother people were having. Um, and then with each episode, as they go back in time, you start to see, you know, like when um, martial law is uh, is enacted in the United States, and then there's just like a full-on coup d'etat in the United States, and 
a whole bunch of the, the government gets uh, murdered by the cult that ends up taking over. Um, and it, it's not going to be an action show for you, Mark. Uh, but a lot of the relationships and interactions between a lot of the characters, it's uh, it's really interesting to watch. And um, it's at least in the episodes I'm up to, they keep hinting at a conspiracy of a of a rebel faction, but you don't really see them yet. And that's got me a little hooked because at this <laughs> point, I, I kind of want to know who the hell is involved, who's a uh, who's actually part of this rebel group and uh, right there mike that already sold me more because i think for me it was just like i knew what the basis of the story was but not where it's at during like the present time didn't interest me much but you telling me that they show how everything unravels that okay now i'm hooked like that's that's kind of what's gonna be there there was there was one part slightly spoiler alertish um it's not a big part um but uh when they were back in time, um, you know Elizabeth Moss character. She works. She worked for an advertising agency, and you know throughout the thing, they're showing how they're systematically getting rid of all the rights of women. And there's one spot when her and this other girl, who ends up being a handmaid as well, they go for a run, and when they go to get coffee, the, her credit card is declined. And the reason why the credit card was declined was because the new cult government had passed the law that women aren't allowed bank accounts, that any money the women had in their bank accounts, it goes either to their husband or their next male next of kin. Jesus. So like ways to control women and to keep them from eventually leaving. You know, the thing about a show like this, it's why I think uh, when the creators, the showrunners for Game of Thrones were going to make a show about an alternate reality where the South won the Civil War. The discomfort of shows like these is you know there's a segment of the population that's like cheering the shit on. Like, yeah, that's how it should be. But there's all these awful morons that are like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the world I want to live in. This, this, this cult that took over, that's the way it should be. They're the yeah. heroes of the story. I, that's yeah, what's all comfortable about these things. Yeah, just, uh, Mike, you did, a, you did a great job. Like, I'm probably going to watch this now because I think for me, like, every time it was on the little thumbnail thing, it just looks like she's a nun, and I'm just like, this seems boring, and it's a drama, and it's just gonna be, and it just does not sound interesting to me. But you just explaining the basic plot, which I kind of knew like the basic summary, but not more of like how the show is actually like shown. Uh, I'm a lot more interested now. Good job. I will say this, Mike, because uh, it's one of those shows that I might eventually get to myself. Um, since you're already ahead, if at any point the show takes a BS sci-fi like swerve that Man in the High Castle did. Please warn me in advance so I don't waste any of my life on it. That was so. God. That has made me angry. <laughs> Jesus. Drew said Stephon, it's better if I'm willing to watch two more seasons, which I'm not. No, Drew, no, Drew said the final episode of season two is okay. And I was, I made, I couldn't make, I mean, did you finish season one? I watched the next episode of season two just to see where they went from that moment. And I, oh, yeah. That I turned it off. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, Stefan, do you got anything? Uh, yeah, um, I'll keep mine short. I know we're running a little long as we are prone to do. So, um, my, uh, current unemployment status has allowed me to really enjoy the world cup. Uh, games go at three, five and 11 AM and I'm essentially a night owl now. I'm loving the world cup. It's been some really fun games lately. Bobby's enjoying this two day swing where Iran is leading their group because 
Spain Yo, and Portugal. Spain, Spain. Wait, wait, wait. Spain, we're coming for you. Go ahead, Stefan. So anyway, so that'll last for another day or two. Um, and another one, I know sometimes we go into these spoiler discussions, but I don't think either any of y'all have seen it yet. But um, I took my niece and nephew to see The Incredibles 2 this past weekend. I did. And you saw it? Yep. Me and Christine saw it. It was great. Yeah. Loved it. Um, there's not a lot of sequels which come out 14 years after the fact, and they're still great. They still hit all the beats. Um, usually when a sequel comes out that much after the fact, it's entirely unnecessary looking at all those, uh, dumb and dumber movie sequels, etc. But, um, Incredibles is fantastic. This is a uh, Pixar at its Pixar. This is when Pixar does things right. I'd say. So, um, if you like the first one, which I did, I always say the first one, it's not the best Pixar movie. It's just my personal favorite because that's how much I love the superhero motif of it all. But um, the second one was really fun, and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Yeah, and one of the things I wanted to say, because I saw this online somewhere that someone kind of pointed out, I was like, yeah, that that was that did make it kind of fun. I like how this movie isn't about like making fun of other superhero movies because it's so popular right now. I could totally have seen them kind of making spoofs on their own Marvel movies and stuff. And it doesn't need to do that. It doesn't need to do that, and it doesn't do it, and it's better for it. Like it could have been because I feel like Wreck It Ralph's going to be a little bit of that. And they didn't take that route there. And I was like, that's good. You don't need to do that. You don't need to make cheap jokes. You're, you know, what you have here story-wise is already strong enough. That was cool. I will say on that quick point, because I was reading an article, I do think we are on the tipping point of meta humor, where it's so all around us that we're starting to get tired of it. Yeah, I can totally say that. And the Incredibles doesn't really go that way. So kind of made it cool. All right, before we go. Uh yeah, before we go, if you uh, if you're going to detain illegal immigrants, maybe don't separate the children from the parents. Cuz that's some supervillain shit. Yeah, there's a lot of people cheering that shit too, Bobby. That's why I didn't want to go into it. Uh not a lot of people. Well, enough. A lot is the right word, but most more people than are not. there should be are celebrating that as a win for the country. Especially the people that shouldn't be, like, the ones making that happen. Maybe they should be like, this is I just, bad. I just want to say, if you don't live in a place, like, let's say, anywhere in a flyover state where this is actually an issue, maybe you should look at how those of us who live in these states view it. Just my two cents. You know, my opinion is what I'm saying is infinitely more relevant to this than that of somebody who lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. That being said, somebody who lives in San Diego's opinion is probably more relevant than mine. I think that's a fair assessment, wouldn't you guys say? I agree with that. You know? I'm a you know, to Lincoln, Nebraska. You ain't got shit. Why is California yeah. becoming three different states going on to the ballot, but not oh California just seceding from the Union? California seceding from the United States should be on the ballot more than... California should be three different states. Yo, have you seen how bad of an idea that dude has? This is we're gonna talk about some California shit real quickly. That guy's plan is so. First of all, we'd be printing money in our state. The one that goes from Monterey North. That's it. Oh my god, we'd have all the money. Okay, Los San Diego and all the bumblefuck Southern California is its own state in this scenario. Los Angeles is separate. So that's San Diego like state. Oh my god. It would just be a tumbleweed. Just rolling through that motherfucker. <laughs> so god, it'd be so bad. Um Yeah. 
And um, I'm not familiar with this rapper who got shot today and died, but that sucks. You know, condolences to his family. How do you? What's his name? Uh, I don't know. XX Triple X Temptation. I don't. Mike, say it, Mike. You know this, Mike. You know this one. <laughs> I I know his extension. It's, yes. It's extension. No X X extension. But it, it's XXX Tentation. So, how, but it's, ex, oh. it's pronounced extension. It, it might just be what a bad it? spelling. Kids, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't know I, might, I might be pronouncing it wrong as well. It's entirely possible. Yeah. 20 years old and famous probably shouldn't die. Something's no. Wrong. Yeah. Okay, guys. Uh, this was an all over the place fucking episode. And if you stuck with us, God bless you. We're going to be back next week. Um,. I'm going to see if Cerrone won. Mike's going to have to tell us. He's the one with the Fight Pass account. God bless him. <laughs> um, maybe Be- I think Bellator's got a show. Someone look this shit up. <laughs> see that or another another evening of Indiana Jones for all of us. <laughs> if you got, if we, if we, if we want to like just do like a, a, a DVD comment, our version of a commentary for an Indiana Jones movie, I think that would do well. That's all I'm saying. You know, <laughs> our thoughts. Sure, why not? <laughs> Um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Greg Hardy or Nick Newell and all that stuff. I actually watched that shit. We'll talk about that next week. Um, Bare knuckle MMA. We didn't talk about that. Oh, oh, we're like three weeks past it now. We might as well say make it four. <laughs> um, guys, next week is going to be a great episode is what we're saying. All right. <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, we'll be back next week. Peace out. See you.